the chair, and uh, how high can we go? Can I go up? All right. Um, okay, if you didn't see this on the way in, this is totally uh, uh, just random, but our secret, what's it called, elf on a shelf, left us a, a note. It has this quote. Harry, I've reached the top. <laughs> Who knows what movie that is? Home Alone. Which one? Uh, ooh, second one. Yes. Yes. Home Alone too. We watched that last night as a family, and we had some good laughs. So, um, hey, a few years ago, I did. Um, oh, this is interesting. My computer's resetting. Do you want to go grab my tablet? Um, a few years ago, I had done 23andMe. Anybody do that? Has anybody ever done like the genetic testing type of thing? So it was fascinating because they send me in the mail. I just like signed up, used my email, didn't give any information. Uh, they send me this this little like tube. I spit in it, mail it back, send it to them, and then a few weeks later, they send me my test results, and they can with ridiculous accuracy uh, tell me a number of different things. I mean, first starting with like gender, but then like ethnicity, uh, it identified numerous cousins of mine, uh, numerous great ancestors of mine, and all the stories that my parents told us were verified and true, that we are French and German <laughs> and Irish and Norwegian, and, uh, and so it was really neat to see all of these things that could be determined just by literally my DNA, right? And, and, and it was so cool to see just how I'm connected and, and through like my ancestors, all the way back to my ancestors. And so... I thought it'd be fitting uh, to do an Advent series on Jesus' ancestry. So, this might be an Advent series you've never heard before, but we're going to be talking about the black sheep of Jesus' family, taking a look at the genealogies found in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. So, in the New Testament and the Gospels, there are two genealogies. We're going to just uh, study primarily Matthew's uh, genealogy of Jesus, because Jesus wasn't just born like to nobody, at no time, like it was a very specific family that he was born into, and there's a lot of insights that we can gather by looking at the ancestry of Jesus and where he came from. And Matthew meticulously took record of all of the, uh, the, the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus and where Jesus uh, came from. And as we take a look at that uh, ancestry, there are going to be some things that, that stick out to anybody who's uh, a Bible student. And uh, one of the things that stands out is actually the fact that there are women referenced in Jesus' genes, Jesus' genealogy. Uh, so there are four women named, five mentioned, uh, and that's very atypical and not necessary in uh, first century uh, Middle Eastern culture. Men were considered the head of the household. Uh, they were the ones who owned property. They were the ones who would have had any kind of legal status or a voting status, etc. And so the fact that women are included should make you just kind of be like, hmm, it's interesting, bring you pause. And what we'll find is that uh, the, the lives of the women uh, and their families in these stories is something really special that will help us uh, as we journey in Advent because their lives tell a Christmas story. Uh, their lives tell us a story that when, when the angels came to the shepherds and the angels said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be good news for all peoples, right? Hence our name, uh, all peoples, that uh, their lives 
The lives of these women in Jesus' genealogy are good news for all people. Thank you. <laughs> Hashtag sign up to service. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Please turn our tattoo. <laughs> um, so we're going to, the, the series, the, what I've titled this is The Black Sheep in the Manger, okay? Because every manger scene you see has white sheep in it. But Jesus' family has black sheep in it, and uh, these, these stories are going to help us see uh, just the, the beauty of God's good news for all peoples. Yes. That God didn't just come for the perfect ones, yeah. he didn't just come for the right ethnicity, he didn't just come for the right whatever, he came for all peoples. And if God can come through these individuals, uh, he is going to do something in your life. That's good. Any uh, Hallmark movie fans out there? Yeah. yeah, there's a few of you that I know are <laughs> anonymously so, okay? I did, a, I did a poll on Instagram recently, and uh, here's the official results. 60% secretly liked Hallmark movies, 10% proudly liked Hallmark movies, and 30% do not like Hallmark movies. And... Uh, <laughs> The lives of the women in Jesus' genealogy are anything but hallmark worthy. Uh, these women would have been considered, for the most part, black sheep in their families. Uh, they didn't fit the mold. And so uh, uh, the writers of the Bible could have easily like buried these black sheep or not referenced them, but the Holy Spirit saw it fit to include these women in the genealogy of Jesus. And, uh, and so those women include Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and then Mary. Uh, Bathsheba is referenced, but not actually named, and so we're just going to focus on those four right there um, in this in this series, starting with Tamar. Um, most families have black sheep, um, and I don't know if you know this, but the hyper uh, hyper vulnerable culture that we live in is very very new. So like this like Me Too one upmanship movement of like hey oh yeah, you've been through that, I've been through this kind of thing, or like, I'm going to put all my, my kind of baggage out on social media. That's very new. Like, typically and historically, and especially if you're thinking of like a Middle Eastern context, first century, family was everything, reputation was everything, and shame was the ultimate mar on somebody's reputation. Mm -hmm. If you had family shame of some sort. And so families, uh, uh, up until just recently did not talk about certain people in their families. And it was fascinating how recent this is, um, just hearing a story from my dad recently. My dad growing up thought that his mom only had two siblings. And then when he was 16 years old, uh, there was a family funeral, and lo and behold, he comes to discover his mom actually had two additional siblings that he had never heard of and had never met before. Wow. Uh, his, his aunt, um, had an operation at one point for her ovaries that was botched and it rendered her uh, mentally ill for the rest of her life and so she had to be placed into a mental institution and her brother, uh, her brother, so my dad's uncle, decided then to take a job uh, near, near the mental institution so that he could watch over her and take care of her. Um, but those two individuals then from that point on were just kind of an embarrassment to the family. Uh, and so they didn't talk about it until all of a sudden they showed up for the funeral and they're like, okay, well, surprise, we've got two additional relatives you didn't know about. I'm reading through right now Eugene Peterson's uh, biography called Burning in My Bones, and he shares a, a very similar story of an uncle 
that was actually murdered by his wife because he was a raging alcoholic and, and violent, and nobody ever talked about him. He had to talk to people outside of his family to get the details on, like, tell me about my uncle, okay? Yeah. Like, that, those are, like, very extreme examples of black sheep. Some of us might have more subtle examples of black sheep. Just the family members are just kind of like, a little bit weird. Every family has black sheep. If you don't, you're probably one of them, okay? Like, you, you, either have, you either have black sheep or you are the black sheep. And so, this series is good news for you. If you've ever felt like a black sheep, it's good for you. This series is going to be for anybody that has wanted to disassociate yourself from your family of origin. Uh, this series is going to be good for you if you've put too much pride in your family of origin. Uh, this series is going to be good for you if you felt embarrassed by your own brokenness, sin, and shortcomings. And uh, it'll be good for you if you question whether or not God can still work through broken people like yourselves and your family. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the life of Tamar. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, you make no mistakes as you wrote these words uh, through your Holy Spirit, God, in the Bible. Lord, you made no mistakes. Everything is there for an intended purpose, God, and so let us look carefully at the lives of these women, God, and what they have to say to people like us today. God, we love you, and we're thankful for the testimony that you have come to bring good news for all people. Amen. Amen. All right, so why don't you uh, open up your Bibles to Genesis 38. We'll read about the life of Tamar and study it a bit. Um, and so this morning I want to answer the question, what hope do we have with all the messes that we make? So what hope do we have with all the messes that we make? I believe that the life of Tamar and a man named Judah give us an answer um, but it's going to get real messy before it gets better. So um, let's dive in here. Genesis 38, 1 through 26. We're going to do this life group style. We're going to do five verses at a time, and we're going to go uh, 1 through 26. So there'll just be, and then somebody can read the last six verses. So uh, Derek, are you there to kick us off? Yeah. Why don't you read the first five verses, and then uh, we'll just go to uh, Leah, and then Ivan, and then the next person with the Bible that's ready. You can just kind of jump in. So. Genesis 38, verse 1. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, all right. At the time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hiram. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who's, who was named Er. She con uh, conceived again and gave birth to a son named Onan, she gave birth to still another son and gave him, uh, and named him Shelah. And it was at Kazib that she gave birth to him. Like just three or four verses in Yeah, six through ten. Okay. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Tamar. I don't know. Tamar. <laughs> but Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, 
live as a widow in your father's house until my son uh, Sheila grows up, for he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's <coughs> wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah was had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep and his friend Ahira the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enim which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that though Sheila had not, uh, now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a, a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Would you go, Madison? He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away. And taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from a woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the man of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anum, Anum? at the roadside? And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, No cult prostitute here. And Judah, Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own and or we shall be laughed at. Um, you see, I see I sent this young goat and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her family, or to her father-in-law, by the man whom these belong, I am pregnant. To whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify the, whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. Ooh. It's in the Bible, so we're going to take a look at it. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Uh, it would be a lot easier to preach on just like the, you know, God loves you. <laughs> Got a plan for, plan for you. What in very, very, very short, one or two sentences takes place in this story? Who wants to give it a stab? Just a summary statement or two. 
Well, like, wasn't it if your husband died, you were, like, the other, the yeah. husband's brothers were, like, supposed to take care of yeah. you yeah. and maybe have children with you? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Okay, so what happens, though? <laughs> what happens with Tamar? That was supposed to happen, but they decided, he was like, nope, I'm not going to do that because I, I, yeah. I don't want to bring any, yeah. you know, basically didn't get her pregnant. Yep. Yeah. So what's Tamar do? Disguises herself. Disguises herself. How? As a I, know it's, I know it's like R-rated here. <laughs> okay, as a prostitute, thank you, thank you. As a prostitute, and then? Right. Tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her yeah. so she can get pregnant. There you go. Thanks, Trick. Okay. Okay, so. <laughs> Just like the Hallmark movies. <laughs> Just like the Hallmark movies. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right, let's, just so you can put some context to this, who is Tamar, who is Judah, okay? We've got Abraham, the father of faith, the one that God first said, I'm going to bless you, multiply you, make you prosperous, your children will be more numerous than the sands of the seashore, stars in the sky. So he and Sarah have a, a child, what's his name? Isaac. Okay, and then Isaac has a child, two children, Isaac has? Jacob and Esau. Okay. And then from Jacob, Jacob has 12 children which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you remember from Jacob, um, we get the story of Joseph and the well. And, um, and then also out of those 12, we also get, and I think there was a 13th in there too as well, but um, the Benjamin. Um, we get um, Judah, okay? So Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob and one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and then, and then Joseph is also here, okay? And Jacob had uh, some of his kids with Rachel, who he loved, and he had some of his kids with Leah, uh, who he didn't love so much. Um, sad story, sister-wives. Okay, it's in the Bible. Okay, so from, from Judah, Judah has three sons. Can anybody just reference those from the passage we just read? Er. E-R. Onan. Onan. Shayla. Okay. <laughs> so he has three sons. Um, what happens is that um, Er marries Tamar. Okay? This is where Tamar comes in. So she is, first and foremost, bride, wife, gets married, super excited. I have a husband. This is great. Probably an arranged marriage. It's okay. All right. <laughs> what happens to Er? The Lord strikes him down because he's evil, and he dies. Like, God takes him out. Out of God's mercy and sovereignty, he, he kills Er early. So Tamar is now widowed. No husband. Bad news. First century womanhood, right? Like, not a lot of hope. But she does have plan B, plan C here lined up because there's something called Leverite marriage, which is the custom of the time that would say that if the older brother dies, the next brother in line would then take you into his house as a wife and then give you offspring, okay? That's what the, the, the Pharisees were, were trying to trick Jesus with, like, okay, tell us if this happens, who will they end up with in heaven? What if the brother already had a wife? Multiple That's wives in this culture, yeah. Okay. Yeah, multiple wives in this culture. So, so Tamar uh, then uh, gets 
uh, comes into Onan's uh, household. Onan will not have children with her. He refuses. And then the word of God says that because of God's sovereignty and, and uh, out of his mercy, he takes Onan out of the picture because he's evil. So both brothers die. Like both brothers just die early deaths, and she's widowed a third time. So then she moves back into Judah's home, because Shayla, it sounds like, was pretty young. Uh, but then Shayla starts getting older, and Tamar realizes that Judah is not giving Shayla uh, Tamar as a wife. So she is uh, now for the third time um, being uh, completely put out on her own and doesn't have a lot of hope for offspring. And so let's just stop there because uh, it's kind of one of my first points. Um, your pain, if not crucified and transformed, is going to cause you to sin. If you don't deal with your pain, it's going to cause you to sin every time. Like if you stew on it, if you don't bring it to Jesus, if you don't let that pain get healed and transformed, it will cause us to be sin, to sin. And that's what we find out happens with Tamar. Uh, can you imagine the pain she's been through? Like, I mean, just to put yourself in her shoes for a minute. Like, first husband dies, he's a jerk. Uh, second husband dies, uh, he, won't, he won't have children with her. Uh, and then her father-in-law won't actually give the youngest son to her. So she's like, and, and, then, and then at that point, when you're widowed, like, it's very uncommon for somebody else to, like, uh, take a wife that's not a virgin. Um, so uh, she's left in Judah's home. So she gets this idea, I'm going to disguise myself as a prostitute, as a shrine prostitute, and go up to this place that I know Judah's traveling, and I'm going to sleep with Judah, convince him to sleep with me. So she bailed herself. Uh, and causes her father-in-law to sleep with her, and then she becomes pregnant with two children, with twins. So that's kind of where we find ourselves here in the story. This is Tamar. This is the woman that God saw fit to mention in Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers. So, again, you think of a black sheep. He wasn't afraid of disclosing the fact that their family of origin had a lot, a lot of messiness going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of brokenness going on. So what happens is, Tamar becomes pregnant, and then Judah finds out that she's pregnant, and according to Old Testament custom, you would take that person to be stoned or killed, and so he says, bring her out to be burned. Uh, not great, not condoning. The Bible is oftentimes descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? So there's a lot of things in the Bible that we're just describing the culture of the time, uh, not necessarily saying, like, this is a rule of life for everyone everywhere, okay? Um, so Judah calls Tamar to be taken out to be burned. And as uh, she's being drugged out, she reveals that she had required Judah to give her um, uh, uh, some collateral for payment for sleeping with her. Uh, so she's pretty cunning. So she retained uh, his seal, his core, his staff, three different items, um, as, as kind of collateral, making sure then that, that she would get payment. And um, what happened was Judah went to go pay the prostitute, so he sent this goat, you know, as payment up to the shrine prostitute, and his servants came back and they said, hey, there is no shrine prostitute up there. I don't know what you're talking about. Can we just say that, like, that's a little nerve-wracking, right? Like, that's the moment where, like, your sin has found you out. Mm -hmm. And 
that's a very sickening feeling when you realize, like, oh, this could be bad. Uh, one, he just lost some of his very important belongings, but he's like, it's better than losing my reputation. So he said, well, just let it be. I'll, I'll deal without these things. Which brings me to my next point. Your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. At some point, it's going to find you out. We try so hard to bury our sin. We bury it in religious activities. We bury it in busyness. We bury it in self-justification. Your sin will find you out. And here, Judah's sin has found him out. And, uh, and he probably has a very sinking feeling, but he's hoping to just kind of deal with it. So what does he do? He doubles down on kind of this self-righteousness, doesn't he? And he's pretty quick to put Tamar out. He knows he's guilty. So oftentimes there's a pattern that like if somebody's walking with a lot of shame and conviction and condemnation, they're very hard on other people. And so Judah here is about to literally put out Tamar to be burned alive. And then she reveals these three items and says, The children in my womb belong to the man who these belong to. His sin found him out. And in that moment, he had two choices. One was to further double down and harden himself, or to humble himself. This moment where God comes into Judah's life in the form of conviction is a grace from God. It is a supernatural, miraculous occurrence that we have to thank God for. John 16, 8 says this, When he comes, referring to Jesus, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Jesus is seen all over the Old Testament. And one of the ways you can see Jesus in the Old Testament is when there's a spirit of conviction upon somebody. Where they know that they're in the wrong. And so we see Jesus here in Judah's story and what happened with Tamar. And so you and I can't convict somebody of their sin. Like, you can try, but, but only the Holy Spirit can actually bring about conviction of the Lord. Where it's like this... I am in the wrong. You, you can heap shame on people, and that's, that's going to do a, number of, a lot of damage on somebody, but you can't actually bring about conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so when God comes into your life and my life, we need to thank Him for that because it is a grace. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, you have two choices, to harden yourself or to humble yourself. Judah chooses to humble himself, so he relents. He shows mercy and spares Tamar and the children. And so we can see that the compassion of God found a home in the humble and brokenhearted. Judah's life was actually marked by this humility, having a broken and contrite heart. There was another instance earlier on in the story when Joseph was being thrown into the pit, into the well, that Judah, out of all the brothers, when they were going to leave him for dead, had the idea, let's sell him instead to the Ishmaelites. What good will it prosper us if we leave him for dead? So, uh, in a moment of, of bravery, uh, and, and, and even just a small act of broken and contrite heart, Judah spares Joseph's life. 
This was a mark on Judah's life here, that he had this pattern of choosing to humble himself instead of hardening himself. So Judah spares Joseph's life, then he spares Tamar's life, and then later on, later on down this, the line, we read at the end of G G Genesis, when, when Joseph is reigning as like the second in command, the crown, in Egypt, uh, Joseph says something to Judah that's very profound. You can read this in um, Genesis 49, 9-10. Genesis 49, 9-10 says this, Joseph is speaking to his brother Judah, prophetically. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So Joseph is speaking this prophetic declaration over his brother, Judah. And he says to Judah, the scepter will not depart from you. And he calls him a lion. So then we see that as the lineage of Jesus is traced back up the family tree, Jesus doesn't actually come from king or ruler Joseph. Jesus actually comes from Judah, and that's where we get the phrase, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's because he was marked by brokenness and humility. His sin found him out. The Spirit of the Lord brought him a conviction, and instead of hardening himself, he humbled himself. And so forever and ever, we refer to Jesus by this man and this woman as a great-great-grandfather and grandmother of faith. God finds a home in the broken and contrite of heart. 1 Peter 5, 6 is this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God found a home in Tamar and Judah. Jesus saw it fit to place himself not in the lineage of a family with a squeaky clean past, but smack dab in the middle of a family that experienced all sorts of debauchery, even incest. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus would refer to Tamar as a great, 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 great grandmother, and Judah's a great, 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 great grandfather and cousin. There would be like a mixture of, he would have a dual relationship here. Uh, Perez and uh, I can't remember the other son. Uh, what was it? Zara. Zara would refer to Judah as both father and granddaddy. Like, it's so weird and it's so messed up. But here's the beauty Jesus came to be good news for all people. Like, no matter how messed up your family is, no matter how messed up you are, God brought good news for all people. There ain't nothing that, Derek, you can mess up that God can't bless up. You know, we've heard this before. <laughs> There's nothing you can't make a mess out of God, that God can't somehow make beauty out of. A black sheep is a member of the family that is a disgrace to it, and Tamar was definitely 
of black sheep in the family of Judah. Yet God chose to, to put himself smack dab in the middle and say, this is my family. Because I am a God who makes beauty out of ashes, beautiful things out of broken people. You see, God is still speaking through his word today. And he's speaking through the lives of the, the ancestors that we see in Jesus' lineage. And he's saying this to you and me today. He said, I will make my home in the hearts of the humble and contrite of heart. Jesus will make his home in the hearts of the humble and contrite in heart. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Yeah. Is God knocking on your heart today? I'm going to ask just three reflection questions, and then we're going to have a time of, uh, of just reflection and, and ministry. The first question is this. Do you have undealt with pain? It's really important that you take a look with Take a look at undealt with pain, because if you have undealt with pain, it will lead you to sin. It's not a matter of if it will, it's, it's a matter of when it will. Uh, your pain will cause you to sin on some level. It's going to cause you to hurt other people, to hurt yourself. It'll cause you to, to, to turn to deceit. If you have undealt with pain, here's my, my plea to you. First, you need to be honest with yourself. You have to just own it. David says in the Psalms uh, that, God, you desire honesty in my innermost being, integrity in my innermost being. You want to have that kind of honesty and integrity in your innermost being. It's really scary when somebody tries to convince themselves that they're all good when really they're not all good. You ever meet those people that, like, you ask them how they're doing and they're always, okay, good, good, fine. <laughs> okay, maybe every man in this room. <laughs> but, like... We need to first and foremost be honest with ourselves. Second, we need to be honest with another. It is so important to confess our sins. James says, confess your sins to one another and God will heal you. Like our healing comes when we confess sins to one another. It's so freeing, so liberating. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so important for us to get sin out into the light because when sin is in the darkness, that's where it wreaks havoc. But when you bring it out into the light, it can't stand any longer. Honest with yourself, honest with others, and then... You need to have an honest attempt at pursuing inner healing. You have to make an honest attempt at pursuing healing. And so this could be uh, counseling therapy. Uh, there's inner healing type of ministries that exist. Uh, one that I know that's great is Sozo. There's Sozo centers here in the Twin Cities. If you have like undealt with pain that like every time you think of this person or this situation, you're still just like just hung up on it, then then I invite you to, to take an honest look with yourself, honest with others, and to make an honest attempt at pursuing healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, second reflection question. Has your sin found you out yet? Is the Holy Spirit bringing about conviction? If you're, if you're feeling convicted on any level, I want you to first and foremost thank Him for that conviction. Because it is for your good. It's actually a gift. Thank him for conviction. He loves you enough not to leave you stuck in that same place. Yeah. Secondly, you need to recognize that shame is not the same as conviction. Okay, so conviction is an invitation that Jesus offers for your sanctification. 
And the question is, do you want it or not? Do you want to get free? Do you want to look more like Jesus? Do you want a way out? Because Jesus is saying, hey, there's a way out. It's an invitation, though, and you need to take me up on it. Shame, however, is Satan's way of throwing shade on you so that you want to hide. And so that you want to self-sabotage. Like, shame will keep you just wallowing in your pain, wallowing in your shame. And, and it will, will try to tell you, like, you can't tell people this because if you do, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite fruit. When we, have, we, when we sin, the enemy's throwing shade, throwing shame, and Jesus is saying, no, this is conviction. Like, be convicted and then experience the mercy of God through confession and repentance. Which brings me to my next point, which is repent. If, if you're being convicted of sin, repent. Turn from your sin and confess your sin. Pray and ask God who it is that you might be open with to get help in this journey of turning from the sin. It's going to take community. It's going to take uh, friends. It's going to take mentors to help you walk out in righteousness. But we weren't meant to do it alone. So repent and turn from your sin. Okay, and the third and final reflection question is, do you still doubt that God can make something good out of your messes? Do you still doubt that God can do something great through you, through your family, through your lineage? Let's be mindful of the black sheep, Tamar and Judah, as a great example. That if God can work through this kind of mess, and if Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make my home in this family, he can make a home in your family and in your life, no matter how messed up you feel you and your loved ones are. God will make his home in you and your heart, and he will lift you up in due time if only you humble yourself. Who knows, God might make you and your family like Judah, blessed, highly favored, called as the, the lions. He might make you to be the ones that people would say, there's a lot of Jesus in that family. There's a lot of hope in that family. God can do it, and he will do it through you. And so uh, here's how we're going to respond. It's going to be a little different. We haven't tried this yet. I'm going to ask the core team actually to, to come up here. And uh, we're going to put on some music, and uh, if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, uh, come up. And if God's moving on your heart and you want to just share something or uh, uh, get prayer for something, I want to invite you to have an opportunity to respond. Hey, Charlie, maybe you could actually even just go over that way. Uh,